Welcome to Intimacy Play, a podcast by Pleasy Play. We host open discussions with world-leading experts on couples, sex, and intimacy, so you can build a more exciting, fun, and intimate relationship. I'm your host, Michaela Silva. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm joined in this episode by amazing Emma Louise Boynton. She's a presenter, writer, journalist, formerly at the BBC Sky News and Tina Brown Media and co-founder of Her Hustle, a female-focused digital production company working to elevate diverse perspectives and tell stories with impact. Emma Louise has shared her own story, depicting her experience with sexual assault and sex therapy. Through sharing her personal experiences and stories of other women, Emma provides women-centered stories, a platform to impact others. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's so weird having my bio read out by someone else because I'm usually the one doing the interview. And so I'm usually the one reading out the bio. So, so I'm the one making the other person blush, but it's really strange. So I feel like, oh yeah, a nice little reverse role reversal here. So, but anyway, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. I'm really excited to chat today. Thank you so much. Um, I want to understand a little bit better when you say that you have a female focused digital production company it works mm-hmm. to elevate diverse perspectives and tell stories what does this mean great question so it's a lot of words and actually not that much sense sometimes um so we are a essentially so we're just a production company where we create podcasts we create live events that sort of thing which are really focused on female-centered stories so by example at the moment I'm working on two things which give a little bit of a um, a pretty good sense of, of the kind of stuff that we focus on so I'm currently working on a podcast series called Talking Taboos for the women's healthcare platform day where I'm exploring a range of taboo topics or typically taboo topics taboo no longer if I can have anything to do with it um, from abortion to uh, sex after trauma to porn and sex addiction that sort of thing um having in-depth discussions with people who have experienced the issue at hand followed by uh, an expert who can come and shed their insight um on, on what we're discussing so i'm hosting producing that basically doing everything around that uh, so that would be created the hustle banner um and i'm also running a new event series for the edition hotel in london called sex talks which is a monthly series where i sit down with a wonderful person from the sex and wellness industry to bust some myths around sex and hopefully offer some practical advice and guidance around people's sexual wellness and also just to create a space where we can break down some of the stigmas and taboos that still consistently exist around sex and I kind of like to think of that as almost offering like kind of group sex therapy uh, by way of an interview to the people the women who are coming to the talks so that's like two examples of the kind of thing we do so it's a production company focused on typically kind of taboo topics because those are the ones I find most interesting to delve into. I love that. I mean, we were just talking uh, about this before we start recording, how important it is to break these taboos, even especially for social media. So I think that what you do is super important. But what inspired you? Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, just following on from that point, I think it's so important, as you said, like I'm always I'm continually shocked to hear about company after company, when they're female-focused companies, whether it's focused on uh, sex or whether it's around women's health, whatever it may be, continually being shut down by social media companies. So I've been interviewing a number of women recently in the uh, female health and wellness and sex space. Um, 
all of them have had the same issue. And now I find out you have two uh, of Instagram and Facebook continually banning their ads and essentially shutting down really important conversations around women's health, women's bodies and women's sexual pleasure. And it's such a huge problem. And one I continually, continually focus on because I think it's it does it operates in two ways. Firstly, it puts a cap on the extent to which these female-led uh, and female-focused companies can grow. Because if you can't advertise on social media, there is a real limit to the number of people you can reach and uh, therefore advertise to and hopefully get your services or products uh, marketed to. And then secondly, so not only is it therefore like styming the growth of companies that we should and we should be wanting to, to support and see grow. I mean, we know funding is, uh, doesn't get allocated to, uh, is, there's a huge disproportionate amount of funding allocated to female-run companies. I mean, we, we, you know, we, we know the stats there. We want more female-led businesses, especially in areas around women's health. But secondly, it also then ends up shutting up down these conversations that, as you just rightly said, need to happen around women's health, around sex, around sexual pleasure. And that just re-ingrains pre-existing taboos around female pleasure, as an example, around how we see and speak about our bodies. So the female body continue, continues to be shrouded in shame. And... For as long as that happens, we're not going to be able to move forward productively around being able to explore our, uh, explore um, sexual pleasure, being able to kind of, yeah, kind of rid ourselves of some of the really problematic hangovers from the past, ideas, like hangover ideas from the past around, around sexual pleasure and around the relationships we should and can be having with our bodies. So I think that just to kind of zone in on that, it is just so important that we do try and have these conversations where we can. And I love, as you said at the very beginning, podcasting is the only space where you can kind of do this or live events without being shut down, without having Mark Zuckerberg permeate his tentacles come through and shut down and shut down important conversations. So I'm glad we get to speak today. Oh yes, a hundred percent. And you know, what you were saying is so important because in the past, sex education was how do you put a condom on? How don't you get pregnant? And it was mm. never about pleasure. But nowadays mm. you have even series on Netflix like sex education that actually give you sex education or help you with that. But then at the same time, you have these social media platforms that don't really care about that. Yeah. It's, it's so hard. true. It's like we're moving forward in one respect in terms of the kind of content we're able to consume on places like Netflix. But then the platforms that we engage in on, on a day to day basis, the social media platforms are then like taking us 10 steps back. So which, again, it just shows that we still haven't moved past this sex and and like you know female wellness, the, the female body being a topic that is seen as a kind of a shameful one as someone we as a you know as something that we need to be hiding so it's just this I'm like come on move forward with 21st century like let's get a grip and it's almost like these companies can only be there for you if you can solve a problem let me explain this mm. so if you're solving erectile dysfunction or if you have a product a, a toy for example that's going to help with people that have vaginism or problems sexually. And you mm -hmm. can prove that it's like if FDA approved or other institutes, then you are able to advertise. So if you have a company that's solving a medical problem, that's fine. But if you're actually trying to prevent a problem, and I think this mm -hmm. is also about the healthcare system, there's nothing there. So for, for example, we don't solve a problem. We help couples not, not have a problem. So we mm -hmm. help couples to have fun and remember that they can be intimate together. Remember that they can have that beginning 
a spark, you know, that honeymoon period. But we are not able to advertise. So mm. therapists are. If you're having a problem and you're looking for a therapist, then you are you are able to find them. You know, that's actually not true. I've spoken to a lot of people recently who also, whether it's sex therapists, uh, sex toy companies, who are having the same issues, who are having their advertising ban. So I think it's it's a problem that is, I think, more widespread than we oftentimes realize. Um, particularly, it seems to be very much uh, companies that are focused on female pleasure specifically seem to be bearing the brunt of overly punitive social media advertising policies. There was an interesting uh, campaign done a few years ago by um, Dame and another company who came together to showcase how exactly uh, what's happening here in terms exactly and you so you see one advertisement for erectile dysfunction and medicine as you said approved fine talk about penis talk about erections fine but then by comparison, Dame were, I think, advertising a kind of sexual wellness toy or something in that space, something to do with the, um, the female anatomy anyway. They were shut down and they, the adverts basically looked exactly the same. So I think it's very much we see it. There's a kind of clear gender divide in terms of how and what can, the sorts of products and uh, that, that people are allowed to advertise and the sorts of conversations, therefore, that are allowed to be had on these platforms. And, you know, they're run by white men. <laughs> so... It's just, and the, the thing is also with this, with this, um, with the issue around social media and the way these conversations get shut down there, is that it's such an insidious way in which conversations around female pleasure and the female body are shut down. Like you don't need to gender inequality and the things that perpetuate gender inequality don't need to be overt don't need to be like women aren't allowed to vote women aren't allowed to go to university okay we have these things now but there are still so many more insidious ways in which women are still being like unfairly treated and held back and they're kind of harder to tackle because because they are less overt and they are just happening in a kind of yeah that kind of more covert level and so it just it's harder to root them out it's hard to call it out and I think that's what I find particularly worrying no and, and I agree with you you know, going with that, what inspired you to utilize a digital production in this way into, you know, helping women and female focused stories? Wow. Uh, you know, I haven't actually been asked that question before. I have always been in media and I worked in news and current affairs initially when I graduated um, for my master's and really enjoyed it, but didn't quite feel like it had this sort of purpose and impact that I wanted to be involved in and then I went over to New York and I worked for Tina Brown for her Women in the World Summit where where it was a live event live journalism event that happened every year there was a big summit that essentially uh, shone a light on the most pressing global issues but with a real focus on looking through a female lens and that for me was like the coming together of my love for media and for content creation, but with a focus on women and female focused issues. And so that was really the kind of initial nub of the like, I think just got my kind of brain spinning and I knew I wanted to, I knew I wanted to create something of my own that would kind of mirror some of the things that we were doing at Women the World at some, at some future point. Um, I remember having coffee with Tina at one point and she said that uh, her hustle was 
uh, like the niece of women in the world or something like that. And I was like, yeah, I like that. Um, but I also just think it's do what you know. And I think I've recently, the kind of the topics that we're focusing on of her hustle, the ones I mentioned before, so kind of typically taboo topics, a lot of sex stuff, that's really been informed by my own experiences in this past year and the writing that I've been doing around getting sex therapy. And it kind of like opened, so I started getting sex therapy uh, at the very beginning of this year and wrote a column documenting this experience and why I did it and what I'd been learning. And for me, that really opened a door into an area that I'd been always been really fascinated by, but hadn't necessarily focused my journalism on. And there's kind of a beautiful circularity to it. So I actually wrote my dissertation at university on uh, how power, how political power functions through controlling sex. So I was really interested at university in sex as a topic area for dissecting uh, the myriad functionings of political power. And uh, so, you know, a couple of years later, I'm kind of circling back to exactly that same thing. Um, and so, yeah, so, so in writing that column, it really got me doing a lot of reading and research into the area of like female pleasure taboo and, you know, all the ways in which I think, uh, just looking into sex loads really and how it just made me feel so I think the best way of describing it is I think with sex for example the issues that show up in the context of sex are so reflective of broader social issues as well as broader personal issues it's never just sex and so when I started writing about getting sex therapy it just opened up so much that I wanted to explore and unpack and unturn and then in turn I was telling people about you know, I was writing a column, but then also having loads of conversations off the back of that with women about what I was like learning, what I was going through. And so many people, both men and women had the same response. They're like, oh, oh, I mean, I, um, I have an issue with sex, you know, and they're kind of like hush hush voices. And I kind of found like the floodgates opened and so many people were telling me about their own issues, their own anxieties, their own worries. And it just made me think, I was like, hang on a second, everyone is feeling this. Everyone feels burdened by anxiety or has some kind of residual stress around sex. And we're not really talking about it and people don't feel confident to talk about it. So I then, you know, I love talking and I love hosting events and everything like that. And I have very little shame when it comes to these things. So it was kind of like, you know, sorry, it's a very long-winded answer to your question, but it was kind of amalgamating that and my experience and what I'd heard to then utilizing this platform, Her Hustle, which we had created with my business partner about a year and a half ago, which had always focused on female-focused stories, but hadn't specifically delved into sex and taboo topics necessarily, and just kind of focusing it on that kind of area. No, and, and I understand because like you said, a lot of our problems, um, you know, external or internal problems do reflect on sex. Mm -hmm. sex is a, is a reflection or it can be um on that and the fact that people are able to with your platform talk about it and mm -hmm. expose their fears i think it really helps with them dealing with the issue and even helping other people that are not maybe has open about it but they can hear other people with the same problems 100 percent. because also i think oh god i got so much to say this i think <clears throat> first and foremost when you feel alone in an issue you're experiencing it's near impossible to seek help or to know that you can get help or that you can deal with whatever issue it is because it's kind of it's, it feels embarrassing there's kind of stigma attached to it that's how I felt before I got sex therapy I just like couldn't I just couldn't orgasm in partner sex and hadn't been able to for years since breaking up with a very long ago boyfriend I just like didn't think it was a thing. I kind of just, sex had been something that had always just been done to me. I felt I had quite a bad relationship with my body growing up. 
there were just all these things I just kind of didn't think it was something I could deal with and because I wasn't it's not that I was like ashamed of having those conversations as I said I'm a pretty open book but I just hadn't had them I just hadn't brought out with friends and I'd kind of just been I got it into my head that I'm just like not a very sexual person and you know I felt so much worry and anxiety around sex I always knew I couldn't come and I felt pressure when I was having sex with someone think feeling like I was broken and I actually had sexual partners kind of say that basically and say like it's something wrong with you which is I mean, great way to reinforce someone's anxiety around sex. Exactly. And so it wasn't until I it wasn't until I had a conversation with a friend, with two friends actually, who were both in sex therapy randomly. And I mentioned that I couldn't orgasm. I was kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever. And they were like, wait, hold up. You know you can get sex therapy, you know you can sort this out. And I was like, really? I what can I? And I just like hadn't even known that was something. It just wasn't within my kind of, you know, like my view. I just didn't know it was something that, that I could access. And you know, going back to your point, if we don't have these conversations, I think people can feel very alone and isolated in their issues and think that it's just something unique to them and therefore something they can't really deal with. And they just kind of like, it's really easy just to kind of ignore the problem, like dust it on the carpet and, you know, be done with it. But when you begin to speak about openly and realize how many other people are in a similar boat to you, I think it then opens up the way to actually be able to address um, whatever kind of residual issues you might have around sex. And as you said so rightly um, just before, those you know the issues you have around sex are reflective of broader issues you have with your sense of self with your confidence with your relationship your body uh your your relationship to intimacy with another there's just so many things that opens up so yeah more conversations around sex oh i've got so many questions about about your answer so first of all i'm thinking how how this can be a comparison with squid game i don't know if you saw the the series on netflix I haven't actually watched it yet, so oh, I'm no, a bit behind. I'm not going to tell you. I know. So. Yeah, Spoiler. don't don't spoil me because I will. I will. It's on my list of things to watch, but I'm quite bad at watching TV. I'm not very good at sitting still, so. No, no, but it's good. The only thing that I would I was going to add with that is that it's quite a violent series, mm. and I've and I've heard people say, you know, why why is there so much violence? But that's the thing. It just showcases things that happen, but nobody yeah. wants to to look at them, and they want to repress. I think. Yeah. And it's it's something you also touched, uh, you know, repressing. I think that when you were repressing that, weren't you? You thought that it was like a physical issue you had. So you were mm-hmm. repressing the fact that you had a, not going not gonna to call it a problem, but something that you could solve. Yeah. And I think that, I think it's also quite easy to compartmentalize your sex life when you have grown up thinking that it's like not that important and you're, pleasure and your sexual pleasure particularly isn't a priority and by this I mean I grew up with a very bad eating disorder so I had a I was anorexic when I was really young and then just I never really I dealt with it in a physical sense and I think I'm still like kind of grappling with like the residual elements elements of now and I'm 29 because I never really got therapy I never really like dealt with those kind of deep-rooted psychological issues that precipitated the eating disorder and as a result I think I've just it always it just meant I had quite a a very negative relationship to my body my body was always a source of pain rather than pleasure and it was something to be fought uh, rather than worked with so I was either starving myself then I was making myself sick all the time and then I was furiously working out of the gym because I was kind of felt like I was in this perpetual battle against my body and the reason I bring that up is because it kind of it meant that I didn't really when I then began having sex which again there was a lot of peer pressure around I was you know, I, in my teens, I was kind of went out loads. I lived in London and went out loads, hung out with people who were much older than me, you know, was drinking, I was drinking a lot. Like I was just in lots of situations which I look back on and think, 
I just like wasn't emotionally developed or equipped enough to be in those situations. And I know this story is so commonplace and lots of other women have experienced this, but end up getting into sexual situations with people which just shouldn't have happened. And I wasn't ready for, and I mean, then one situation which I've written about in which I was told I was someone had had sex with me. He was double my age. I didn't remember anything. And I didn't really know how to, I didn't really have the language to understand, let alone speak about any of that and what it was, how it impacted on me. And also it kind of fit into this narrative I had already about my body, that my body was something that was just perennially the source of pain and this thing to kind of be ignored and things to just be, you know, pushed down. And I think like when you're really anorexic, like you're living every day with so much bodily pain and you're having to actively fight against your body is crying out for nourishment and for sustenance. But so you're actively suppressing those thoughts every day because you are like, no, I can't eat. I can't eat. You know, it's a such a strong, powerful mental illness. And I think I can then see retrospectively how that permeated uh, other aspects of my life further down the line in which when things happened to me sexually that didn't make me feel good, actually were really upsetting. I just kind of pressed it down. It didn't, didn't matter, move on, move on. You know, also a teenager, you just want to be cool and hang out with the older kids anyway. And, you know, how I felt, if I felt vulnerable or if I felt hurt by that, I couldn't really feel like I could deal with it. And so I think that it was, sexual pleasure had never been something I'd really thought about. It was just, I hoped one day sex would get better. And it did with my first like loving boyfriend, but it, sexual wellness, it just wasn't a big part of my life. And so going back to your point about repressing uh, that issue, I think it was just never something I'd really explored or acknowledged. It was just this part of my life that I was kind of shut down. And it's interesting, I interviewed, I've interviewed Billy Quinlan who runs the sexual wellness app Furley quite a few times now um, for various things I've been working on. And she always speaks about the importance of seeing our sexual wellness as part of a, as like a core component to our overall well-being, and makes a point that I so fundamentally agree with that too often we ignore it as though it's a kind of a side thought. So it's just like a side note, like, yeah, you can have all this, like, you know, sexual issues are just there, whatever, you can ignore them. But you wouldn't do that, like, you know, I exercise religiously, I eat healthily, I try and keep all the like aspects of my life in order. And yet I thought it's for a long time thought it was okay just to ignore one big chunk of that when it came to sexual wellness. So I think, yes, for a long time, it was repressing that side of myself as being kind of important. Um, and then just, yeah, cause I just didn't really ever think it, it was. And now in getting sex therapy, it's almost like been kind of the recognizing that this is a part of myself and a part of my overall well-being that I have to acknowledge and I have to nurture. And did sex therapy help you, um, look at your body as a source of pleasure? Uh, so when I first started, sex therapy I my therapist gave me a, um, a practice to do so she said a key component to sex therapy is obviously rebuilding your relationship a positive relationship to your body where um, you previously had a negative <laughs> one and that's not just around sex it's around just being able to just not yeah so it's not just like masturbating or anything it's actually just like seeing a body's source of pleasure so one thing she set me an assignment to do uh, early on was to keep a pleasure journal so when she said keep a pleasure journal I was like oh my god she's gonna get me to document my masturbation habits and write a diary every time I have sex and then recount it to her and I was like okay I mean I'm an open book but really uh it wasn't that of course it was 
five times every day to note down when something gave me pleasure. So having a coffee in the morning, having that you know, lovely feeling when hot water trickles down your back when you're in the shower, uh, that smell of freshly mowed grass, whatever it may be, just as a way of anchoring myself in these points of physical bodily pleasure in my day to day. And although I did not really stick to that task uh, that religiously, it really did help, I think. It's been, you know, it's a process and I'm still going, doing sex therapy, but to kind of try and recalibrate my mind to be able to sit in my body with a little less like pain and a little more appreciation for the things that can like give me kind of physical, physical joy. Um, and I think, that also being said, I think it's been by getting me to continually talk about how about my relationship to sex and how different sexual experiences have made me feel. I started sex therapy beginning of the year. Obviously, we came out of lockdown, had loads of sex. So I was like, better try, you know, see, put this into practice. And I found it really helpful in being able to talk through these sexual experiences and how I felt afterwards in relationship to my body and have someone as kind of a sounding board to just reflect back what I'm saying or feeling in a way that I just haven't like done previously. As I said, sex is always done to me and I kind of like went past it, da, 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 okay, moving on, moving on. Whereas now I'm like, okay, actually, how did that make me feel? How did that make me sit in my body? Is that me appreciating my body in that moment or is that me trying to disconnect from my body, which often happens during sex for me? So yes, it has. And it's a long, never-ending journey, I'm sure. And what is one of the greatest pieces of advice that you took away from your sex therapist that you would like to share? Communication, communication, communication. She continually uh, reiterates this. And by the way, my sex therapist is called Alex. And she, I always forget her, the, the um, name of her practice wrong. It's either called the Pleasure Gardens or the Pleasure Centre. It's Pleasure Centre. Um, I think Pleasure Garden's quite fun though. Uh, <laughs> she continually tells me that good sex relies on communicating before, during and after. And it is much easier said than done. <laughs> so much easier said than done. But I think it is really at the, it's at the core of better sexual practice. And I think that it's kind of about really getting yourself used to feeling comfortable enough in a sexual situation to be able to say ah, like this doesn't feel good this does feel good and to be able to actually explore what does feel good to explore your pleasure and I think we get a very monolithic view of sex um given to us by I mean fucking hell by porn porn is like the worst committer of this but even just in popular culture in films and in tv you see two people they kiss, they fall down in unison, they start having sex, they don't say a word, they both climax in unison, they fall apart on the bed in just like this like blissful post-coital joy and it was just wonderful. And that's just not the reality of sex. Sex is different with every single person. But I think when I look back to pre-sex therapy, I was going to sexual um, situations thinking, worrying like am I going to be good enough what are they expecting this person must be so advanced advanced you know have so much experience I don't have they're judging me am I getting it right 
And there's no such thing as getting it right because every single body is different. And the part of having good sex with someone is learning how their body works. That's why one night stands often aren't great. They can be, but it's just a different kind of sex. But it is really exploring somebody else's body and allowing them to explore your own. And you just can't do that effectively if you don't communicate. Um, and if you don't like let someone know how you're feeling in any given moment that being said as I said at the beginning it's really hard I've got much better at talking about sex beforehand once you say you're in sex therapy it's like like as I said floodgates open I've become so good at talking about sex therapy and the importance of communication to everyone and anyone that I found it very difficult nonetheless to communicate during sex and I've described this in an article previously I feel like this veil of silence will kind of just suddenly fall upon me when I'm in the act of sex and I'm like oh come on like speak say how you feel and I'm like oh and that like you know shame comes in I'm like oh but what if you know they don't like my body just all those things so I think it's still I mentioned that because I think you don't just like go into sex therapy and like woo I can just communicate I'm just this like amazing sex goddess it's actually like just a process of learning the like language and the tools to then be able to hopefully communicate better and I'm getting better at it, so yeah no about, about communication, because that is the number one tip every guest we interview says. And I, I agree 100%. Just sharing a little bit about me. And I've been in a relationship for over 10 years now. Uh, same partner. Well, if it's a relationship, wow. but a monogamous relationship. And what I felt was when I was in my 20s, I'm in my 30s now, I thought we were having good sex. I mean, I love him. We have a connection. And now when I look back, sex was okay it wasn't great and because we weren't sharing exactly what we wanted not because we were scared or afraid but because we didn't really understand the power that it could bring so once we got a little bit more mature and a little bit more maybe like end of our 20s beginning of our 30s I think things started really to be a lot better to become a lot better exactly because what you were saying you know we were able to communicate beforehand almost like like foreplay you know talking about sex and about interesting things it could be fantasies yeah. that you know it could be nothing and also during sex and after sex so anybody that's listening if you think you've got great great sex and you don't communicate trust me try communicating you don't need to change partners yeah. you just need no. to try a different approach and it's it's going to be better totally and I think oh I so agree with that I part of good communication too is being able to recognize it kind of goes back to what I said before like recognize that every person is different so when someone tells you oh actually I don't really like that or can you do that differently it's not an affront to you it's not anything on your technique or your lack of experience or anything like that and I look back at sexual partners when I was in my early 20s and there was no communication and if there was any communication if I ever said like oh actually no I don't think I really like this there were a couple occasions when I said to an ex-boyfriend like oh I'd like to try this or you know I, I, I'm not really into sex at the moment for whatever reason and he just shut down the conversation and I don't blame him because I think men are as restricted in how they are told they can and should explore and talk about sex I mean I think patriarchy and patriarchal norms around sexual pleasure operate to everyone's detriment but he felt that was an affront to his masculinity and he felt like I was essentially saying you're shit in bed and I don't love you <laughs> which obviously I wasn't but his reaction was so defensive and so and then it's kind of in turn scared me from ever saying anything, anything again so I'd be like oh shit you know I don't want to I really loved him like I don't want to rock the boat 
this obviously isn't okay for me to talk about this. And you just, those, that's a perfect little example of two people who've grown up with very restrictive, reductive ideas of how sex should be projecting onto the other all their like fears and anxieties and worries about what like can come up during, like if you do communicate so yeah communicate more and have better sex pretty simple I mean our conversation has been amazing I wanted to talk to you about uh, sex after trauma but I think that's gonna have to go into another episode so okay. just before we finish yeah how do you keep your relationship open exciting and intimate and here you cannot say communication. It's got, it's got to be something else. Okay, how do I keep my relationship excited? So when I am in a relationship, you know, it is a really great question. And one that I'm going to have to tell you in a future episode, because I have learned so much about myself and about myself sexually, and as well as personally, in the past couple of years when I've been out of a relationship. And the way I would hope to comport myself in a relationship in the future be so vastly different <laughs> to how I've done it previously. So all I can say is that I hope that my future self, when I'm in a relationship, whenever that may be, to keep things exciting would probably be to, to never stop having adventures with the person. And this is something I didn't do with my ex-partner. We kind of stopped exploring and doing things serendipitously. And I think the joy of being in a relationship to me whether it's with you know with a best friend or with with a sexual partner is having someone to be your adventure partner to go on that random trip to Paris for a weekend and get lost in a city and just to see the world from someone else's perspective and I know that's not related specifically to sex but I think for me that's like the best ball play <laughs> is let me know what you're thinking have a really in-depth fascinating philosophical conversation about the world woo me mentally and intellectually and then honestly I'm putty in your hands when you get into bed so that'll be my advice to be fair in your last relationship I don't think pleasy play existed so now it does it's something good for your next relationship exactly exactly so now I have as I said all the tools going forward so if I do get into a relationship I know how to yeah I know what to go to lean on you actually provided one advice I think unknowingly and that was know yourself because you were saying that because yeah. you know yourself better you think you're going to be a different person and you're going to be able to use better your your body and yourself in the relationship right a hundred percent and I think that part of knowing yourself is then being able to call yourself out when you're 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 not just going to overnight as you get older and wiser as we all do be able to stop defaulting into long-held habits I have a whole range of amazing defense mechanisms that I have developed as a result of quite like painful dating experiences where I've just become quite hardened and I'm like whatever disconnect don't care and that is just I know I can see I've developed those through through bad experiences dating but now as I get a bit older and I can kind of see those patterns play out I'm getting a bit better in in relationship like in kind of you know when I'm seeing someone or whatever at being able to be like oh I'm really sorry you know what I've just done there I have just totally ignored like miscommunicated done the x y and z and you can call it out. And once you call it out, you can then deal with it. And it doesn't become this like festering residual problem. So I think in all of life, so sex as one brilliant example, 
Um, but I think in all aspects of your life, knowing yourself better and, and continually doing that work to know yourself better, it just has such a broad spate of positive ramifications. And I think that there's kind of like nothing, yeah, nothing better that you can do for yourself. Emma, I think your work is amazing. Where can everybody know more about what you do and, you know, get to even hear your podcast as well? Oh, so uh, Instagram, I'm trying to get better at posting everything on Instagram, but I do post everything I do on Instagram. I have just, the um, event series I mentioned at the Edition Hotel is called Sex Talks, and that is a podcast as well, which you can find on all streaming platforms. Um Uh, at the moment and we'll be continuing to record all the live ones and we should be doing a pre-recorded one as well and then talking to booze which is the other podcast i've just finished is going to be coming out hopefully early december which again will be on all streaming platforms and that will be under the brand day so i've done it for them and then obviously the her hustle website her hustle instagram i'm basically i'm all over the internet so (laughs) So the website is so herhouse.co.uk. Um, but yeah, my Instagram is my main port of call. I have all my links uh, in my bio there to whatever I'm working on. And yeah, find me there. And what's your Instagram, Emma? It is at Emma Louise Boynton. Awesome. Very Emma, good. it's Definitely. been a real pleasure. I've learned so much. And I think you have such a bright perspective on everything that really brightened oh. my day. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. I love talking about sex and this has been a joy. So hopefully I can come back for another podcast. We can talk about trauma. I agree. Anyway, thank you so much. And I will speak to you soon. And that was Intimacy Play. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about Pleasy and how we can take your relationship to the next level, visit pleasyplay.com. Then also make sure to search for Intimacy Play in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Pleasy, thank you for listening.